0: Welcome to the second season of the Brand Lab Podcast, hosted by myself, Honi Nam, founder and CEO of your favourite jewellery brand, Astrid and Miu. We are not just a jewellery brand, we are a movement. We are here to empower everyone in our community through our ever-expanding platform. During the pandemic, I started mentoring a few business owners Following the experience, I was looking for ways to scale the knowledge and information and decided to launch a podcast series where I interview founders and leaders for inspiration. Because this is how I learned through listening and reading. After a positive response from our community last season, I sat down again with like-minded founders and industry leaders, diving into the behind the scenes and operations of cult brands across fashion beauty and lifestyle you will be able to gain insight into the highs lows lessons learned and the grit and patience required in building a business or a career get ready to be inspired and be empowered please note this series has been recorded remotely which might affect the sound quality On this episode, I sat down with Maria Hatzifanis, founder of global beauty brands, Rodio and Nip and Fab. Maria spoke to me about her impressive 20-year career, the inspiration behind the branding of her innovative beauty and skincare range, and building her personal brand with some great tips, such as batch content making and indirect mentoring through her podcast and book, both with the titles overnight success. Ironically, she reminds us that nothing is an overnight success. She is a true inspiration and my girl crush. Hi, Maria. Welcome to the Brand Lab podcast. So
1: good to have you on board. Hello. Hello, Corny. Thank you for having me. I am a big fan of your range and I am just so excited to meet you on this podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, likewise.
0: Um, I mean, obviously, I'm a huge fan of yours and your brands. And I've done some research, i.e. stocking, And I realized we have so many in common so many things in common in our career. You started your career in fashion magazine, then went to New York to do an MBA at Columbia, and then you went into investment banking. So that's how I started my career. And you got fired, which you're not shy to talk about, which then prompted (laughs) you to start. (laughs) I love it. I love the honesty, And which then prompted you to start rodeo. What a journey. So I I guess like, you know, you're kind of like you put your life out there, but I, I don't think I found anything about your formative years, like where you grew up, and what your upbringing was like. Um, were your parents entrepreneurs? I, I'd like to know, like, all
1: about that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, my story. So, um I come from um, a family of teachers, actually. My, my parents are both teachers of um, uh, ancient Greek, so it, you, you couldn't go any further away from um, entrepreneurship. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I just was raised uh, in a remote island back in Greece, where I'm originally from. And I was the only kid going to the uh, news, one news agent, we had on the island that was bringing international magazines and I was fascinated um, with the world of glamour and beauty and fashion and I would buy the single issue of um, English and American Vogue and Elle and uh, Bazaar, I would buy all the magazines and that was my escape from that little island and I always imagined that one day I would be able to leave this island and be in a world World of glamour so that's what I imagined since I was a little girl so I was fascinated with fashion and beauty um, so when I graduated from high school I moved to Athens the capital of Greece and I um I studied uh, English literature and um on the side I took a job um at uh, Seventeen Magazine and I was a freelance writer so I would go to the magazine and they would give me some work to do sometimes it was uh, fashion styling, other times it would be um, doing beauty and uh, doing um, beauty interviews so um, I started and I thought that I would end up um, having a career in in a fashion magazine but then after I graduated something was draw me drawing me into the world of business. I don't know why or in what way, but that was sort of manifesting that I needed to be in business in some capacity. Um, So I, um, I always dreamed of living in New York. So I thought, you know what, that's my way of living in New York. I can go and study something. And I um, I managed to get some student loans and got myself to New York where I studied uh, business. I did my MBA. Um, but then at the end of it, two years into it, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I was confused, but I also had a lot of student loans. So when I graduated from uh, my MBA, um, I got an offer out of all places to work for an investment bank um, and the offer was for the London offices. So I did my training in New York and then I moved over to London. Um, and yeah, that was my journey into my first big job. So I, I was in banking for a couple of years. At the beginning, I was so excited. A part of the high flyers, it, it all was new and exciting and glossy. And then two years into it, I started losing my enthusiasm. Uh, just doing another spreadsheet just wasn't exciting for me anymore. That sounds so familiar. And so relatable. (laughs) I can imagine. So I became a very bad employee, uh, showing up late, not working weekends as we did back in the day. And then one day I was called in the boardroom and got fired. And you know what? I say this, uh, you know, with a with a calm voice, but it, that was a big shock for me back when I was in my early 20s. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it was shocking. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. So I took a few months off and that's when I decided, you know what? I don't want to go back to banking. I started my career as a um, beauty and fashion writer. I love beauty. Let me start a beauty company. How hard can this be? I was so naive, but yeah, that's how it all started. And that's how I got into beauty. Wow. So if you didn't get fired from banking, do you think you'd
0: still be there? Or do you think you would have had like the guts or um, I guess the catalyst to start your own business? What prompted you to start your own business?
1: So yeah, what happened was... I knew that I loved beauty. I also that there was part of business and finance that I really enjoyed, the strategic part, that the analysis that leads you to make decisions. I enjoyed that part, but not doing spreadsheets all day. So um, what I did, I did a bit of research, and I identified a gap in the beauty market. Um, of a range to deliver targeted treatments to specific skin concerns. That was my idea because back in the day, everything was basic. You had a basic cleanser, basic moisturizer, and there wasn't any, nowhere near what we have right now. There was nothing. So um, I wanted it to be fun. I wanted to use innovative ingredients. I wanted I wanted to take skincare not as seriously, if that makes sense. So I knew it was going to be a serious skincare uh, fix. But I also wanted it to be fun and and have fun packaging and and fun names. So, you know, skincare is important, but it doesn't have to be so serious. So that was my idea. and, And that's how Rodial started. Yeah, I completely get it. And if you look at Rodeo, you have some really
0: provocative and she, um, tongue-in-cheek names like, you know, the snake oil serum, mm. dragon's blood, and all these things. Where do you get this inspiration? And is that a huge like, I guess, ethos behind the brand?
1: Yeah. So um, it all started. It was uh, year three. I just moved into my first office after working from the back room at home, and. Um, We were about to launch our first anti-aging serum and I get a little pack brown box from the lab. Um, I tried the product. It was beautiful. Um, I had a team of two. We all played with it. We looked at the designs and we were going to call it anti-aging serum. But, you know, then I thought, how are we going to compete with everyone else out there? You know, you have the Esteloders, the Lancome's, they're all doing anti-aging serums. We have zero marketing budget. How are we going to stand out? So I'm looking at the list of ingredients and one of the ingredients related to Viper Venom. And I thought, oh, my God, let's call the product Snake Serum my team was like, oh my God, you, you're going to take us out of business. What are you talking about? <laughs> but anyway, we, we decided to go with it. Uh, we capitalized on the name. We made the product luck, we did a photo shoot with snakes and we created some amazing visuals and when we launched it, uh, the product went viral within 24 hours and we started getting calls and orders from Japan to Germany to Australia. And honestly, Connie, that was the first product that put Rodial on the map and I don't think that we would be where we are today if it wasn't for the snake serum.
0: Yeah, I love that story. It's amazing. You took that risk and it just um, opened doors for you. So like, I mean, like everything looks so successful and glamorous right now, but I know on the backstory, um, you say it took seven years to get your products into your dream department store, which is Harvey Nichols. How do you, um, I mean, how, how do you persevere um, for seven years? What was the
1: process like and w- w- what were you thinking? Well, a couple of things. Uh, One is just to, and I think that's a point that um, a lot of your listeners will definitely relate. I wasn't able to get funding for my business. Um, And that was a big slap in the face. Um, Not just from the point of view that I didn't have the capital that I needed ideally to get my business off the ground, but getting investment for me would be... um, a way to validate my business idea. Um, so it all started very small from a back room at home when I didn't get investment. I had some savings from my my uh, time in banking and I, I couldn't take an office, I couldn't take employees. So everything was super small. So back in the day when I started, that's over 18 years ago, uh, the online um, business. Wasn't a big part of um, of a company's uh, turnover, so there wasn't uh, there weren't many people shopping online. If you want, back in the day, so the only way to get your brand off the ground was to get it in a store. Uh, so it wasn't that I had a lot of other choices uh, for Rodial to grow. We just had to get it in more stores. Um, so what I did. Um, as I say in my book, is um, I sent um, a collection of products in a beautiful basket and ribbons and all that and, and a beautiful card. Um, and I also attached a few of our best press clippings. So I sent a beautiful package and I said, you know, I'd love to meet up and with a buyer and connect and I can tell you a bit about my brand. Um, so... The first year, nothing. I didn't hear back. I sent an email, not hearing back. Um, And that went on year after year, probably at around year three. I got an email saying, thank you for uh, sending us the products. But currently, we don't have a space for Rodeo. And then... by year six they they started getting a little bit more interested. uh we had the meeting, but nothing happened and finally, year seven, they said yes will give you a small shelf, but you have to promise you will come to the store and sell the products yourself. So I was doing Monday to Friday working at my home office. And then on the weekends, I would go to the store to sell my product. Um, So yeah, back to your question, there was no other option for me. If I wanted to grow my business, I needed to be um, the products to be in a store as online wasn't available to us. Um, And there wasn't such a big part of of the world. So yeah, I had no other choice. So I kept going.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I mean, like, it it sounds really easy for you to say you had no other choice. But I think a lot of um, people that start their own businesses, it's really hard to, I guess, persevere when someone says no constantly for seven years. Um, I I guess, like, how, what kind of advice would you give to these people? who need that kind of, like, motivation or perseverance?
1: I mean, I always say find a plan B. So from year one to year seven, while I was trying to get my products into Harvey Nichols, I, in the meanwhile, I got a few other stores. So there was... um, a store local to my uh, my place around the corner and they were selling beautiful candles and it was a small store, a small business owner. We connected. Uh, She loved Rodia, so they placed a small order. And then I got another account. So I was going around, knocking on doors, showing my products and opening smaller accounts. So it doesn't mean that over the seven years I didn't have any retailers. I just didn't have that one retailer that um, I needed to be to show the world that I've made it. Um, so it's always about having a plan B and if your big goal and, and your dream, it's, it's not, uh, achievable yet. Try to find, uh, your plan B, your plan C, try to, uh, get smaller wins to fuel your business, um, get you going, uh, boost your confidence, and And one thing would lead to the next. And then maybe I wasn't even ready to get into that big retailer year one. Maybe I needed to learn from all the other business relationships. So when the big retailer came on board, I was ready and I had uh, the knowledge, the resources, the best way to support them so I can properly um, grow that relationship. So... Yeah, for me, it's always have a plan B and uh, while you're looking at your big goal, just try to get some smaller wins.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that practical advice. At Astro as well, we started um, selling it to small websites and small boutiques before we became this, um, I guess, bigger direct-to-consumer brand. I think that advice is so valuable. So going back to not being able to receive funding, so... I mean, how, how did you fund and sustain your life and the business until it picked up? Did you make cash flow from day one or did you have to really bootstrap along the way?
1: Um, so I started my business um, with my husband. So we co co-own um, we the company. And uh, what we did at the beginning, it was all about me doing as much work as I can to grow the business and I wasn't taking a salary. So that meant that I was everything from the CEO to the operations manager to the receptionist to the packer. So (laughs) (laughs) beginning, it was like, just do as much as we can. The only person that I hired, I hired an accountant um, and she came to my home office. Uh, every couple of weeks to do the books and sort out the accounting. But I was doing everything else myself. So at the beginning, it was like, you know, we're, we're going to minimize the cost. Uh, let's just get some cash flow going. And um, every all the money that I was getting, I was reinvesting back into the stock. But. Um, but, um, you know, you do need someone to support you. So um, usually it's family who can support you, whether it's your um, your parents, your extended family, your partner, someone needs to be there to support you because you're putting all your effort, all your money into your business. And, you know, I, I, I went through some tough times. You know, I, I love designer clothes and I love beautiful stuff, but there was a time the only place I could afford were second hand um, stalls in the Portobello market and not for cool, cool reasons it's because that's the only thing I could afford so you know I I did go through tough times that I didn't have a lot to spend on myself and I was just going through with uh, sort of minimal spend and everything was going into the business uh, but you know um, Connie you mentioned a really good point I think a lot of people think that owning your business is a very glamorous thing Uh But for me, it took a while um, to, and a lot of hardship and a lot of times that I didn't have enough and everything was all about the business. Uh, I don't think that people realize that. They think, oh, having a business, it's super glamorous and, you you know, you have tons of money and and you're doing glamorous things. It's, It's a part of it that may come later. But the reality, as you know, it's a lot of hard work and a lot of it is not glamorous.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I guess it also took you some time to have this build up this personal glamorous brand as well, right? Before then you were putting your head down and working. And it's interesting that you mention the family support part, because this is something that not many entrepreneurs talk about actually. And I could, you know, run my business because there was support from my husband who invested in the business, but who's, you know, there, there for me emotionally and also supporting, um, you know, like doing equal childcare and all of those things. Can you tell us a bit more about your husband who's now, um, the CFO of the company, as I understand?
1: Yes. So, um, When uh, when I started the business, uh, he was still working in the finance world. So um, he was super supportive of my idea, and that's very very important for me. And I wouldn't be here today if I didn't have his support. Um, And uh, so yeah, he he had to work. He had to bring in a salary so we can survive. but then, after a point, the business has grown so much that we we felt it was the best thing for him to leave his um, his job and and come and work for the business full time. That was about seven years ago, and at the beginning, I was I was a little bit um, concerned how this would work. You know, if you. you you live with someone and then you work with someone. And, and also I felt that Rodial and my business was kind of like my territory and I didn't want him to get involved. Um, so he's come on board, but the good thing is that we are so different and, um, it's all about everyone dealing, uh, him and I dealing with a separate part of the business and really taking care of our stuff. So uh, he deals with the, um, anything finance related, he deals with all the IT stuff that I don't want to know about and some of the operational stuff and, and, and backend. Um, and I deal with um with a creative, with sales, uh, with, uh, marketing, with all, with the more creative stuff, which I enjoy doing. And yeah, our days run very different. We deal with different people and I'm the kind of person that I take care of my own thing. So if I say this is something it's, it's within my area of expertise, I'll take care of it. I'm not going to be, um, you know, going in and out of his office and and discussing things all the time, because I feel you also need to be in control of certain areas. So, so there's the, you know, divide between, yes, we are a couple, but also we have a professional relationship. So yeah, it's, it's not easy, but at the end of the day, you know, that if you work with a family member, they have the best interest in mind of, um, of, of you, of the business um, and anything that comes across any challenges, you just have to deal with them. But yet, overall, a positive experience.
0: Oh, that sounds amazing. But how do you draw those boundaries? Do you Are you tempted to talk about business on your dinner table when you're with kids as well and on the weekends? How do you switch off or do
1: you not switch off? It, it took a bit of um, back and forth to just be able to separate it, it is very important to do so. And yeah, I I tend to not to want to talk about work after work. Obviously, there are times, especially now that we've been working from home over the past year on and off, it's, it, it has become more challenging mm-hmm. to differentiate uh, one from the other. But I'm usually the one who would say, you know what, let's just deal with this tomorrow during working hours. I just need a bit of a break. So we usually stop talking about work, but I had to put my foot down and say, let's just talk about it tomorrow. I'm just too tired right now. So I feel you need to set the boundaries and just make sure that you do have some private time that you don't talk about work. It's not easy, but it's the same thing to do.
0: Yeah, I guess you really need to be. Oh, why? Why are we hearing this? I, I guess you need to be really disciplined if you're working with a family member, especially your husband, especially during lockdown. Mm. <laughs> but it's amazing to hear that it's all it's all working out fabulously. So now, like, if um, I mean, if rodeo is not enough, you launched another cult brand, Nip and Fab. What was the inspiration and the reason behind this? Um, I guess
1: a newer brand. Um, so this was uh, this was over 10 years ago, and uh, a lot of people were coming to me and saying, uh, Rodial is such an amazing brand, such a great ethos, targeted concerns. Uh, someone's going to copy you pretty quick, and what are you going to do? And they're going to come up with a less expensive um, brand that's similar to Rodial. So I don't know, in a moment of madness, I thought... Well, if someone's about to copy us, let's copy ourselves and let's just do a little spin-off of Rodial that has a similar ethos, but targets a younger audience. And it's um, it's more about the millennials and and teenagers and sort of the 20-somethings that uh, haven't yet started with, with Rodial. Uh, so that's how it started at the beginning. But then over the time, it has developed its own identity. And the two brands right now are completely separate. Um, Over the past few years, I have personally taken a step back from Rodial. And I have hired a professional team to drive it. So I am not as um, involved with Nip and Fab as I used to be at the beginning. Because um, it can be a little bit overwhelming and confusing if one minute you're doing one brand and the next minute you move to the next. Um, So I'm really proud of, uh, of Nip and Fab and what we've achieved. But yeah, it makes more sense that the brands are run separately right now and every brand has its own identity. Yeah, that
0: makes sense. So you, you've just said that you've stepped away from the business. Um, what made you make that choice? I would assume that was probably a very difficult choice for you.
1: I still own the business. So, uh, I'm still, uh, the, um, owner of Nippon Fab with my husband, but, um, I have hired a professional team with, um, with people that I trust and they run the business and I get an overview um, once a week and they come to me if they need help and advice and we talk about the strategy and the growth. But I'm not involved in the day-to-day running. And um, it's, uh, sometimes it's what you have to do to grow um, and I, have seen throughout my journey that the minute I hired the right people, um, it's when the business grows and goes to the next level. So with Nip and Fab, there's been so much potential um, with, with it being a millennial brand. And we, we work with 30,000 stores all over the world. So it, it's, it's, a, it's become a massive brand and it just needed a different approach and it needed a lot more focus than I could give by being in both brands, uh, but it's still my baby. And I still keep an eye on it. Um, I just let, you know, it's, it's grown up now and it has the right team to manage it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really mature and considered choice. And
1: I completely agree with you.
0: Having the right people is so important in scaling a brand. And we're kind of going through that journey right now. And it just makes such a big difference to have the right team. So, um, I mean, like we can talk about this offline separately when we go for a coffee. Mm -hmm. Uh, I need to get some advice from you. So now you've been an entrepreneur for, I guess, like close to 20 years. Wow. Um what were your biggest challenges during like, I guess the past um, like 18 to 20 years? The
1: competition, Connie, is relentless in, in all industries, but I also think, especially with the beauty industry, the barriers to entry in our business are so low. Everyone with an idea and a few thousand pounds and a website and an Instagram account can come up with a range. So, and there's some amazing ideas and products out Mm -hmm. there, but I've decided very early on that I'm not going to look at the competition. Uh, and there was a day a couple of years ago that I went through my Instagram and I have unfollowed every beauty account that I was following because it was just getting, getting to me and seeing new launches every day. And, you know, you get affected and you're thinking, oh, maybe I should do this or why didn't I do that? And it makes you second guess yourself. Um, so I've decided I'm going to follow my own lane. I'm not going to look at what other brands are doing. It's very important for me to have a clear definition of who the royal woman is and, and what does she uh, need for her skin, for her beauty, what does she need to feel confident? And, um, and just follow my own lane rather than get affected by other brands. Um, So yeah, that's, for me, that's the key thing for anyone really starting a business. You can get discouraged if you follow all the competition very closely and if you compare yourself to the competition. So for me, that's the hardest thing, just being focused and be who you are and just having a clear view of your vision and your future.
0: I completely agree with you. I, I need to go unfollow all the jewelry brands. <laughs> You've inspired me. <laughs> so on the contrary, what were your biggest pinch me moments in your career? I'm sure there are so many, but um, mm. if you could pinpoint to like one or two.
1: Um, I mean working with Kylie Jenner, what a surreal experience that was. Um, so Kylie Jenner became the first ambassador for NIP and Fab. This was uh over five years ago. She was just 16. Uh she didn't she wasn't as big as she is now, she didn't have her own range. And um she came to London. We we did a photo shoot, a campaign. Um, I spent twenty-four hours with her, followed by Paparazzi, and then six months later, we went to LA and we did the same thing in LA, and that was surreal. Just um, uh, being uh, being exposed to the Kardashian family—you know, love or hate uh, them—and being around their work ethic. The attention to detail, how they manage their image, um, it it was a once in lifetime experience that I will never forget. And yeah, that was that was surreal because again, that was very early days for me and my career and my business. I have some amazing pictures with Kylie at the Rodial headquarters, so we uh, we don't forget the moments. But yeah, it's it's been a. a Surreal opportunity, uh, not opportunity, moment, I guess. And then other moments were uh, publishing my first, my second book. I never really thought that would be an offer, never, ever in my life. I don't even know how this happened. Um, so, yeah, just, just many moments. Um, but even it could be a simple moment when a customer... Uh, leaves me a comment on Instagram saying how our products have changed her skin and made her feel confident. Like even that moment for me, it's like, wow, I just, I still get so excited when I read that. So it's a small moment, but there's some surreal moments as well. That's amazing. I mean, you're obviously
0: such an inspiration for me. I'm a massive fan of yours and I've been following you for a while. Um, But what amazes me is, You know, like you not only run your businesses, but, uh, you know, your image and personal branding is like very curated and glamorous and you seem to be doing so many things in one go. How do you manage that? Do you have a full team of supporting you with your personal brand or um, I don't know? Do you not sleep? (laughs) Tell, Tell us a bit. Well, it's, uh,
1: you know what, if you look at what I, what I do over the last five years, it looks a lot, but it's projects. So for example, I started, um, so I've written two books. So my books, they probably take about six months to write, then the book is published and then, you know, you forget about it for a little bit. Um, in between my two books, um, I did a podcast um, and the podcast I run, it's called Overnight Success and my book Books are called uh, how to be an overnight success how to make it happen so that's that's a whole book and and uh, podcast franchise that's quite connected um i my podcast is it has seasons and i last year i recorded a season on how to deal with quarantine and i recorded eight episodes in one day so i i kind of batch film and batch do everything i do um, So I have the content and then with the Instagram and TikTok, You know, Instagram for me, it's uh, I do a lot of stories. So I wake up in the morning and while I'm doing my makeup, I'll do a tutorial and that literally takes me 10 minutes. So it's super easy. I do it as I do my makeup or my skincare. It's very natural. Um, I'm on TikTok. That takes a bit more time. But again, with TikTok, I batch fill maybe once a month and then I have the content. Um, So as I say in my book, I actually have a chapter on my book, How to Make It Happen. And And the last chapter is called How to Do a Mega Make It Happen Day. So I'll get ready one day and I'll film like 20 TikToks. So that gives me lots of content. Or I would bad shoot for Instagram. Um, So, yeah, I just feel that you need to be smart with your time. But it's not that every day I'm up doing Lots and lots of content, and I'm on my own. I don't have anything else, anyone else helping me. Um, Just because I am super creative as a person, and um, that's my escape from running the business. Um, I do have a team at Rodial who manage the Rodial Beauty and the Nippon Fab social media. So these are run separately, but I 100 run my at Mrs. Rodial accounts on Instagram and TikTok.
0: And like, obviously, um, you know, your personal brand seem to be very thought out. Is there, I guess, a thought process behind all of this? Um, is this for you to take this um, to
1: something else in the future? Like, for instance, mentoring or or, or whatever so, it is? Yeah, mentoring is something I'm very passionate about uh, the reality is because there's just so much going on right now with, with work and all my responsibilities, I don't have the time to do one-to-one mentoring and that's where my books come in the picture. Um, Cause I felt that um, there's so much that I can share with anyone who wants to start their own business, especially sharing challenges that I went through and how I've overcome, overcame them. Um, so I've written the books and the podcast, and that's a way for everyone who wants to, yeah, educate themselves on starting and running a business. Everything is there in the book. So for me, that's indirect mentoring and a way to communicate with my audience and give back. Um, and then maybe one day I'll do one-to-one mentoring and and get more into it. But while the business is still running, yeah, it's it's hard to find the time to do anything, anything else. But yeah, I'm, I'm all about empowering younger women and, and young entrepreneurs. And hopefully they everyone can get some inspiration from my books and podcasts.
0: Yeah. I, I love that Maria. I've listened to a couple of episodes your, of your podcast and anyone who's listening, who hasn't listened to Maria's podcast that go over to overnight success podcast. You've got such great nuggets in there and they're so practical and down to earth, um, Yeah, which is amazing. They're so, so practical. So anyone who hasn't listened to it, please go listen. And um, I, I guess like the most important question that I want to ask you. You look so flawless at age 50. Correct me if I'm wrong about your age, but I, I was so surprised. Can you share some of your skincare slash lifestyle tips? Well, with I us? think
1: it's uh, when it comes to how you look, it's all about lifestyle choices. So you know, from what you eat, I've gone vegan back in September, and I've seen a massive difference on my skin. Um, I work out a few times a week I'm at home now with my Peloton app, whether it's light weights or um, on my bike. So I feel that working out, it really gives you that great blood flow that really shows on your skin. Um I do have weekly massages because that's another way that you can get your blood flowing and it just makes you look 10 years younger. Um, Obviously, great skincare. There's there's never a day that I don't do my extensive morning and evening routines. And I do them quick, but I I don't skip steps and I use all my products. So skincare is important. Um, And then... You know, just taking care of yourself and, and being being out in nature. Um, and it's, it's all the lifestyle. You know, I've never smoked in my life. I may drink, you know, one glass of wine every month. I don't even drink. I sound really boring now that I've just described my life. But, um, you know, every choice, every lifestyle choice that you make, it really reflects on your skin. Uh, But I also think that um, looking good for your age, it's not just about your skin, it's about, you know, your hair, it's about how you dress, it's about, you know, do you dress and have a haircut that you've had 20 years ago? Maybe that's aging you. So it's it's a lot of elements on how to look and feel good about your age, because it's not about suddenly you know looking twenty. It's about just feeling good, feeling refreshed. So yeah, hope um, hope you guys can pick some of my tips. One final question: What would you tell your twenty five year old um, self? I would tell her that everything is going to be okay at the end. Don't sweat the small stuff. Um, And I would say just go with your gut feeling and um, if in doubt, dress up, glam up and go and make it happen. (laughs) I love that. (laughs)
0: thank you so much for i love you even more i'm a even bigger fan
1: now thank
0: you so much for being here with me
1: thanks connie that was fun thank you for having me thanks for listening
0: i hope you feel inspired if you enjoyed this episode please make sure you like subscribe and leave a review And remember to join us over at Astrid and you on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook for more source of inspiration.